So, welcome replay viewers. Welcome everybody that's live. Thank you for uh, putting up with me being a little bit late. Uh, I have taught more in the last three days than I have in years, probably. So, Freeology Friday, I do every Friday at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, 5 p.m. My Time, Mountain Time, and Derek's Time, ironically. Uh, and we talked about the end of theology. One of the things that Derek's always bringing up is that there's been progress in every aspect, every study, every ology. There's been progress in the last 2,000 years in biology. Obviously, we know more about the body. We know more about medicine. Psychology, we know more about the mind. Geology, we know more about the earth. Zoology, we know more about, you know, botany, all of those. Uh, but when it comes to theology... We are stuck, and this kind of fits with what I was talking about last Sunday, we're stuck in something, we're, we're beholden to something that's nearly 2,000 years old. We haven't made progress, or a lot of progress, in theology. And then uh, I followed that up like two hours later with Doug Wentz. Uh, Doug will make you think, Doug will stretch you. But it was a fantastic conversation, I thought, that I had with Doug Wentz on Friday night, and Doug said he wanted to talk about the prophetic, and he kind of ended up talking about this same thing, the, the shifting of the ages. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And then yesterday, I did a uh, Zoom call for a group in, um, uh, well, I don't even know if I should say where. It's so funny when you're scandalous, you don't even know if you should say where you're doing stuff. But uh, uh, overseas, we'll just say that. And had a great turnout, and man, it was powerful. Um, I see Anna saying she she enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if you're talking if you were on the Zoom call or if you're talking about one of the other ones that I did. But I thought the Zoom call was incredibly powerful. I mean, I felt the presence of God. I felt the power of God. I felt the anointing. I, I felt like I was back in the old days uh, preaching. I loved it, um, and talked about a lot of the same kind of stuff. And so I was kind of uh, planning on, yeah, Chad says it was great. So I was planning on maybe sharing some of the things that uh, that I shared yesterday. But anyway, my point is I'm a little bit out of it <laughs> this morning. I'm a little bit wasted. Um, so I was going to share some of the things I shared in that Zoom call because I thought it was so rich. And I wake up and I get on Facebook because I want to let people know I'm, you know, I'm doing a live. Might be running a little bit late or whatever. Already had a few people messaging me asking if I was going to be on this morning. And I see Jared Martin. I think it was Jared. I don't think it was Ben. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> and I was just waking up, man. I was, I was wiping the cobwebs out of my eyes. But I think it was uh, Jared Martin that said, uh, well, time to get up and go feed that bloodthirsty deity again today, and they said, oh, wait, no, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> and that just struck a chord with me, and I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't bring this up, but I, you know you know me, if, if I, those of you that know me, if I get a chord struck, I usually end up talking about it, even if it's premature, even if I shouldn't, but I've been thinking about it, and, um, and so I want to talk about that for a little bit. I, I, like I said, I should probably... Uh, Dig into it, but it kind of it kind of goes in with this flow of of where I've been and things that I've been talking about. Uh, yeah, it was Jared. Jared, it's always Jared and Ben, man. Those two guys crack me up. <laughs> yeah, Ben says Jared Martin, my partner in heretical crime, for sure. Uh, 
But I, you know, it made me think. I, I love those things. I love those little little bombs that you guys throw out there because they're funny for one thing, uh, but they really do make you think. And kind of my the beginning of the end for me <laughs> in ministry was I did a a message. Oh, it's been a few years now uh, that I called "The Cross Will Blow Your Mind." I think on I think it's on the uh, YouTube channel still, and it was. My most watched message, my most watched message on YouTube. I think I did it around Palm Sunday or something called the cross will blow your mind. Because one of the first things that I began to question and began to look at from scriptures and began to think about and began to talk about through my deconstruction process was this idea of the atonement or what's known in theological circles as penal substitutionary atonement has the idea of a, a penalty. And so the foundation for a lot of people for their understanding that came into the evangelical church was that God was pissed off, right? God is angry at humanity. God's upset with humanity. And for some reason, God's solution was to uh, sacrifice Jesus, to sacrifice his son. And then through the sacrifice of his son, uh, things could be made right with Humanity, And if a person put their faith ultimately in the blood, I want, I want you to think about how bloody this is. And let's just let's just talk about this and think about this practically and critically uh, for a minute. Let's just think about this practically and critically for a minute. So we told people that you had to have faith in the blood of Jesus and somehow that faith, that believing in the blood of Jesus would make you right with God. And we got a lot of hymns, right? I mean, I just, <laughs> when, when I saw that post from Jared, I just started thinking about all those hymns we used to sing, like, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow. That makes me white as snow. <laughs> no other fount I know. <laughs> Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Or, um, I mean, just all these songs. About the blood. And it's in the scriptures. Like it's, it's in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews talks about the blood of Christ cleansing the conscience from sin. The book of Revelation talks about how God loved us and gave his son for us that we might be washed in the blood. I want you to think about that. Being washed in the blood. And of course, there is communion, right? So if you come, maybe not out of the evangelical church, but you come out of an Orthodox church, you come out of a Catholic church, uh, I mean, the Catholic Church, they, 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 they may not sing the songs that we sang about the blood of Jesus and how wonderful and great the blood of Jesus is, but the whole service is centered around a recapitulation or a reenactment of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus because it centers, the Mass is centered around uh, the communion and the Lord's Supper and being a member of the church. The, the biggest thing about being a member of a church is it allows you to partake of Communion, it lets you drink the blood of Christ and eat the body of Christ. And you walk into a Catholic church and there's the, the crucifixion, uh, scene displayed out, right, out in front of you, right? So you walk into the Catholic church, there you see Jesus dying on the cross, uh, and then the whole service is around the blood. The whole confessional, you have to confess your sins to the priest before you can receive the communion. So it's all about receiving the communion. So definitely the crucifixion, the broken body, the shed blood, 
Paul says, the only thing that Paul quotes of Jesus, of his earthly life, I mean, this is something people don't think about, but Paul never quotes teachings of Jesus except in two places. One place in the book of Acts, he says, the Lord has taught us it's better to give than to receive. And then in another place, he says, you know, what I received of first importance was uh, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup. And so all four of the Gospels have the Last Supper. Paul mentions the Last Supper. It's all layered throughout the Scriptures. So it's in the Bible, it's in our hymns, it's, it's reenacted. Now let's just think, let's go back to Catholic Church, and let's just think about the trauma of this, because I've had a lot of people tell me, you know, that as children they were really traumatized in the Catholic Church just by the crucifix itself. Now, think about this. In Roman times, the, the, the cross was an instrument of capital punishment specifically reserved for insurrection and rebels. When it says that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, it's a mistranslation. Uh, the truth is he was crucified between two rebels. Barabbas was uh, in trouble. You know, Barabbas, the one that was let go instead of Jesus, he was in trouble because he had started an insurrection. And so Jesus was being crucified under Jewish law because he made himself equal with God. I want you to think about that. He was crucified because he made himself equal with God. And, and he was crucified under Roman law because he said that he was, or they said, he was king of the Jews, and so he was, or he was preaching a kingdom, starting another kingdom. So we, the whole of Christianity is based primarily on two things, three things: the death of Jesus Christ, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the idea that Jesus Christ is central to the very nature of the eternal Godhead, which is the doctrine that we call the Trinity. And therefore then, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father, no one can have a relationship with God except by coming through Him. Now, like I said, I don't want to deal with this from Scripture, but I want to think about this. I want to think about this practically and logically for a minute. Do you realize how bloodthirsty? I mean, that's, and that, this is where I'm, I'm coming from. You know, Jared said, I, I gotta wake up and feed that bloodthirsty deity again today, and he's like, oh no, no I don't. <laughs> And sometimes you just need it in your face like that to realize how the world or how people or how other religions or how people that didn't grow up in that, how they might look at this and think, here we are in the 21st century and we are still connecting. We are worshiping. Here's what I want you to see. We are worshiping around a human sacrifice. We are worshiping around a human sacrifice. We are literally worshiping. We're singing those worship songs. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm going to cling to the old rugged cross. I want you to think about that. I'm going to cling to the old rugged cross. You know, how's that go? I wish I could remember. I should know. I've been singing it since I was able to sing. <laughs> I will cling to the old rugged... Anyway, you guys don't want to hear me sing. I will cling to the old rugged cross, right? Think about this, guys. We're worshiping a man as God. Worshiping a man as God. Oh, Jesus, we bow down at your feet. Oh, Jesus, we, we, we drink the blood that flows from the feet of the Savior. We literally eat bread and drink juice or wine and say we're eating the broken body and the shed blood of a man that lived 2,000 years ago. And we have... 
on display in our churches. We have one in our church building, right? I mean, you drive by, the first thing you're going to see is a white cross. <laughs> uh, yeah. Think about it. An instrument of capital punishment. Let's just imagine that Jesus had come today and, or my, my kids wanted to watch uh, The Green Mile. So we watched The Green Mile. You know, that old movie with Tom Hanks, uh, where he's, he's overseeing the executions of people on death row, like the 30s or somewhere during the Depression time. And, uh, yeah, let's just think about it. Think about those old electric chairs, these, the wooden electric chairs with the, the thing that comes on here and strapped around and they put electricity through your body, which is much more merciful than the cross. <laughs> it's a much quicker death and it, it's not put on public display. When, when you, when you watch these movies or you, 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 if you're aware of how they do this, you know, people that were involved in the case, the victims, families, whatever, they could come watch the execution. But Rome, Rome wanted to put it on public display and you would hang on a cross sometimes for, for days. Yes, John Coffey is a messianic figure. I agree with that. Uh, love that, love that movie. Really enjoyed it. So, think about this, guys. We're walking into our church buildings, and there. So, think about if, if Jesus would have died on an electric chair, you'd have a guy sitting in an electric chair. And you know, you think about it, he's got the holes in his hands up there, but you wonder, like, if it was the electric chair, would his eyes be kind of bulging out? You know, would the sculptor sculptor make sure that the eyes were bulging out a little bit? And then you have this, this supper where you're, you're eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus. And John's gospel, in fact, says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in me. So I want you to think about, we're worshiping. Now, now think about this, though. Think about this. Is this, this is our dogma. This is our doctrine. This is our teaching. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute as well. This is what we were taught. This is what I was taught at my mother's knee. We celebrate the Christian calendar, uh, the Christian cycles. If you're in a liturgical church, the Christian calendar, the nativity, Christmas, the Christmas holiday is about God becoming flesh, God becoming the man, Jesus, 2,000 years ago. And then Easter, obviously Good Friday, is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then you have Ascension Sunday, his ascension into heaven. Then you have Pentecost Sunday a little bit later on. And the idea is that the blood made the spirit available. So Pentecostals were really big on the blood. Charismatics were really big on the blood. How many of you went around pleading the blood to try to get some kind of protection? I plead the blood over my home. I plead the blood over my children. Uh, how many of you... Uh, to get over a guilty conscience. You did something that you felt was a sin or you felt guilty and so you, you, you thought about the blood. Maybe, maybe you, your theology or your teaching didn't go that deep, but this is, this is the core message of the Christian church around the world without exception. We just do it differently. We used to get, people would get upset with me for two things because there were two things that I avoided when I was, uh, preaching and teaching. For 20 years, and any of you that were with us, because a lot of, a lot of, some of you don't realize, but, um, a lot of the people that watch, uh, 
have been, you know, connected with everything I've done for 20 years. And I'm so grateful for all of you. And God bless you, man. You're going to, if, if there are rewards in heaven and crowns in heaven and jewels in heaven and mansions in heaven, some of y'all are going to have, um, crowns just because you, you, you hung around with my crazy ass, uh, through all this, through all this stuff and watch all these, you know, different transformations and stuff that, that I'm going through. Um, but I, I would get in trouble because I wouldn't do altar calls. I wouldn't present the uh, sinner's prayer enough and do altar calls enough to have people come forward and give their life to Jesus or ask Jesus to come into their heart, which is another kind of goofy thing. I want you to just think about that. I'm inviting a man to come into my heart and live his life through me. I, I want you to think about I mean let's just think can we just be practical can we just be critical thinkers can we just put it on the table and talk about stuff that I know there are people that are being shaken to their core right now that are watching this because they're Christians and oh my god Aaron doesn't believe in the blood and and so I didn't do altar calls for 20 years got in trouble because I didn't do a lot of altar calls I'd get pressured into doing them or doing them to keep people happy or every once in a while I'd feel inclined to have people come forward and pray the sinner's prayer you know but it wasn't something I did every single freaking week I didn't do it every month. There's, I, I will go months, maybe even a year or two, but without doing a sinner's prayer altar call. And then the other thing I get in trouble for was we didn't do the Lord's Supper. We didn't do communion often enough. And and how many of you were part of those churches? This was more a charismatic thing, word of faith thing, <laughs> but it's in the Bible. Baptist, I know the Baptists did this. Uh, that if you take the Lord's Supper unworthily, because Paul said, Paul actually puts a death curse. People don't realize this, but the Apostle Paul, the great grace preacher. Oh, oh yeah, now let's call out our grace friends here because, you know, we think Paul just preached grace. I mean, these guys crack me up. I'm sorry, I'm going to offend and upset them. But y- you guys crack me up that are all just preaching grace and you're going back to T.F. Torrance and you're going back to Karl Barth and you're going and, and, and those theologians, but you're not biblical and, and you're not preaching what the Apostle Paul preached because the Apostle Paul wasn't that gracious. Because just look at what he was doing in the church of Corinth. Because in the church of Corinth, and we know Paul wrote the Corinthians uh, letters. We know that. We don't think, scholars don't think he wrote Colossians. They don't think he wrote the book of Ephesians. They don't think he wrote First and Second Timothy. And they don't think he wrote Titus. And they, they, they don't think he wrote Philemon. But for sure we know he wrote 1 Corinthians. Now here's the grace preacher. Everybody, it, like, like this is the biggest bunch of BS. I'm telling you, it's BS. These guys that are saying, oh, all Paul did was preach grace and that Paul was a grace preacher. Cause here's, here's Paul in the church of Corinth, right? He has two things. He says, he says there's one guy that's sleeping with somebody with a member of the church, uh, that, that Paul didn't approve of. And granted it, it was a little, um, out there even by today's standards. Cause the guy was sleeping with his, uh, father's wife but again please understand that marriage in the bible and in the times of paul is completely different than marriage that we have today marriage was a you bought your bride and oftentimes you bought your bride young so it's very possible that the man could be sleeping with his father's wife and his father's wife could be his age or younger than him that's that's just the reality of the culture and she was a possession and viewed as a possession and viewed as property so I know it sounds outrageous and really out there to us, but it probably was not so much in the culture of the day. But regardless, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter because 
Paul says, you know, the, the, this thing's going on is sexual sin, it's sexual immorality in the church. Now, guys, how much sexual sin's going on in churches today? How much sexual sin is going on in grace churches? If we get right down to what the Bible, what evangelicals, Pentecostals, Catholics equate as sexual sin, and come on now, the the, the assembly of God, there were assembly of God guys. There were guys in the renewal, uh, that, that thing, that crazy, weird, weird, weird thing that happened in Pensacola in the, in the early 90s. Where in the letter, he says, I'll tell you what we're going to do. This is in the book. He says, you're going to gather together. And when you gather together in the name of the Lord, and my spirit is there with you, meaning I'm going to astral project myself. I'm going to leave my body and travel in the spirit. Tell this to your Baptist friends. It's in the inerrant Word of God. It's in the New Covenant. And when I'm there with you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to conjure up Satan. We're going to conjure up Satan. We're going to bring him into the presence of the meeting. And we're going to turn this man over to Satan to kill him. So he's putting a satanic curse. Paul is encouraging the church that's worshiping around the blood of Jesus, the grace preacher Paul, to put a curse on a guy for sexual sin, sexual immorality, by conjuring up Satan. And then the other thing that he does, to bring me back to communion, the other thing that he does, is he, he tells them, I'm instituting, I remember Paul's writing and ministering before uh, his writings are earlier than the gospel writings and that kind of thing. He's going to places that the apostles had not gone. He's going to the Gentiles. And he's saying, I'm going to institute a religious ritual where we eat bread and we drink wine. And we're doing this in remembrance of the sacrifice of God. We're doing this in remembrance of the sacrifice of God. And if you don't do it exactly the way I tell you to do it, you're going to get sick and die. Huh? That's what he says. He says, if you, he says, you're taking the cup of the Lord unworthily. You're drinking the cup of the Lord. You're eating the body of the Lord. You're taking the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner. If you continue to take this in an unworthy manner, or because you're taking this, sorry, because you're taking this in an unworthy manner. That's why many of you are weak, the English says, but infirmed. That's why many of you are sick, and that's why many of you are dying. So he puts a death curse on how you're doing the communion supper. And I, I was part of a church that every time we would take the Lord's Supper, we'd read that passage and we'd be reminded and we'd have to sit there and think about all our sins that we committed and how horrible we were and whatever. And we had to go up and take the, bre- the bread and the... Because literally, the Bible, the man, Paul, put a death curse on us if we took it wrong. That's in the Bible. Just saying. Paul also liked to curse people if they preached the gospel different than him. And some of the people he was cursing was James <laughs> and Peter. But we'll leave that alone. Because they were preaching a different gospel than him. And he said, even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches a, def- a message different than me, let him be accursed. I mean, if there was, if that guy was around today, would we follow that guy? If there was a guy starting a new religion, he said, look, if anybody teaches anything other than what I'm teaching, let him be cut off and cursed of God. I'm going to institute a new 
ritual that nobody's done before, although it's debatable that it connects to other religions. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this and, uh, if you don't do it my way, you're gonna die. And by the way, if any of you are sleeping around, sleeping with somebody that I don't approve of or like, uh, I'm gonna get everybody together and we're gonna conjure up demons. We're gonna conjure up Satan. And, uh, and, and we're gonna kill you. We're, we're gonna put a, uh, we're gonna literally use black magic to, we're literally gonna conjure up the powers of darkness to kill you. And, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, this leader also says, uh, it, it, you really shouldn't get married. It's, it's better not to touch a woman. It's better not to touch a woman. Uh, in fact, I, I, I'm not married, and I, I would have that all of you would, uh, would uh, not get married. But since the only kind of sex we sanction in this group is marital sex, and I realize... A lot of you are horny out there in this culture that we're in. And so the only good reason for you to marry somebody is if you're horny. Now, that's kind of what the purity culture does today anyway. And so a lot of young people, a lot of people that I knew that I've done life with got married because they were horny and they had to make it legal and sanctioned by God because somehow having that piece of paper, like two people being in love with each other, doesn't do it. The heart connection isn't what's important. What's important is that you go before the judge you go before the preacher, you go before the church, you go before the witnesses, you enter into this covenant. Okay, now sexuality is sanctioned, now sexuality is legal, but really I'd rather that you didn't. I'd rather that you didn't do this. Now again, guys, I'm trying to get us to look at this practically. That all, that's all the stuff in the Bible. Now would you follow that guy? Because if you would follow that guy today, why are you following? I mean, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't follow that guy today, why are you following him? Now, why are you following his writings? And why are all you grace preachers out there lying, saying that Paul was preaching a grace that does not exist, or an atonement that does not exist, or a goodness from God, an unconditional love from God in Jesus that does not exist? Because he'll love you unconditionally, but man, you sleep with the wrong person, we're going to kill your body so your spirit could be saved, which implies if you don't kill his body, then his spirit is going someplace where it wouldn't be saved. I'm, am I crazy? And then we're singing songs around the blood. We, we got crucifixes and crosses in our churches. And we think we've cornered the market on God so that people that do deconstruct, the people who do deconstruct, lots of them think they only have one choice, really. Either I'm an atheist or I'm a Christian because we've so said that God cornered the market. So back to my message that I preached. I preached this message. This is where my deconstruction started. <laughs> you see, you thought I forgot about that. Uh, that I called the cross will blow your mind. And I looked at the cross as a metaphor and a symbol of, of ascension uh, rather than something literal that happens historically outside of us. Now, especially at that time, uh, I still believed in the literal historical thing, but I just didn't believe that was the message that the writers were trying to get across. Uh <sighs> <clears throat> and I knew this one was going to get me in trouble. And Don Tripp, you're on here. I, I saw you earlier. <laughs> I saw you on here, Don. I don't know if you're still watching Don. But Don Tripp tells me, I, I, I told the people I'll record the message, I said, don't post that. And Don Tripp 
tells me, you're not going to post that? I think you should post that. And then, I don't remember who else was there, I just remember Don, everybody else was like, oh yes, you need to post this message. And, to Don's credit, Don, thank you, it was my most watched, at one time anyway, my most watched YouTube message that I had. Uh, so you were right, I should have put it out there. But, <laughs> the next thing that happens, the next thing that happens is I have these guys that are friends of mine sharing my message, uh, sharing the link from my YouTube channel with other guys that are friends of mine so that all the preachers in town and from other states, uh, an evangelist that I don't even know, I didn't even know he knew I existed from Texas, uh, pastor friends of mine in Texas, they all put me on a prayer chain. I see my teaching showing up on their pages and they're saying, we need to pray for our brother. And then I had this other guy, God bless him, pastors a small church out east of here in a little, tiny little town, but he wrote a book, you know, so if you wrote a book, that makes you an expert, self-published, but you know, if you write a book, it makes you an expert. And he starts posting and telling everybody, Pastor Aaron doesn't believe in the blood. Now, I mean, they had a freaking canary, they had a fit, and, and still to this day, they're having a fit over over me, and, and I know many of them are happy... <laughs> <laughs> that we haven't been meeting publicly because uh, of the pandemic and whatever. And, and I just have, I, and it's not just the pandemic. It's just that I've got to go by the release that I feel in my spirit from God to do something. And every time I think about opening, I get a check. So until I can get past that check that's inside me, I'm not, I'm not doing it. So I know there's people that are happy because they've been praying that we would be shut down, closed down. I mean, I, I went out to church with, with, uh, after church, I went with a group of family and friends from the church, 20, 30 people. I don't know, maybe not that many people, but a lot of people, kind of a regular, uh, church crowd that we would go out to eat with. And I'm drinking a beer with my Mexican meal and another pastor walks in that used to go to our church, but he's a pastor now, an associate pastor. He walks in wearing his suit, you know. And I'm in my jeans and probably a casual shirt and drinking a beer. And so I go over and talk to him, whatever. I come home. I get an email from his mom chewing my ass out about what a false prophet I am and how I'm leading people to hell. Because apparently he told his mom he saw me drinking a beer. And it was a, it was, it was a citywide scandal. I kid you not, it was a citywide scandal. I had people that ran into people. <laughs> that were friends that went to other churches. Again, pastors I don't even know that said, we heard your pastor's totally backslidden as an alcoholic. Way, vey. So thank you, Don. <laughs> so, but, but here's the thing at the time, here's the thing at the time, I was like, oh my God, no, I believe in the blood. Because, because remember, first thing I started to deconstruct from was penal substitutionary atonement. I crack up every time I say that. Because uh, my mind goes somewhere else. But anyway. Um, <laughs> PSA, let's just call it that. Uh, this idea that God had to die, that Jesus had to die. And, and we say this bloody thing, we say this is the love of God. This is the love of God. So I was still afraid of hell. I was afraid of hell. I thought hell could be a reality and I have to cling to the blood. I need the blood to make intercession for me. I need the blood between me and God. God needs to see me through the blood. 
uh, if I don't have the blood, then I don't have salvation. So I was kind of clinging to that because I hadn't realized that the Bible doesn't even teach hell. So when I finally was able to deconstruct, and I took a long time to study, and I, listen, 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 I did not go to the scriptures because I wanted not to believe in hell. I went to the scriptures because I wanted to find out if I was actually going there. Because I had so many people telling me I was, and I thought, if hell's true, you know, I'm, I'm sticking, I'm, I don't care. I'm, I'm doing Pascal's wager. You heard of Pascal's wager? You know, like, like if, if I'm wrong about hell, then I need to hold on to the blood of Jesus. I need to, I need to hold on to my confession of faith and all that stuff because I'm not going to go to hell. And they were telling me, they were telling me Aaron doesn't believe in the blood and that I was going to hell and there was no repentance for me. I've had people tell me, people, Christian leaders, tell me that because I knew God, because I knew the power of the Holy Spirit, because I knew all this stuff, and they take this passage out of Hebrews, and I have fallen away that that's it for me, that there is a deep, dark place of hell for me, and there is no repentance for me. And, uh, you know, that, that preacher told my wife at, at his mom, at her mom's funeral, right after her mom's funeral, he's gone, he's a goner, he's lost, he's going to hell. Don't listen to that man, listen to me. And I told her, you should have reminded him that the Bible says, if you, you silly women keep your mouth shut, if, if you have anything, any questions, go and ask your husband at home. Should have thrown that Bible verse in his face and seen how, what he did with that. Uh, but anyway, sometimes I'm not very nice. So, are, are, are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? I, I wonder what kind of shit I'm starting with people. <laughs> it's not my goal. <laughs> Let's come back to this. Let's come back to this bloody gospel. Let's come back to this bloody centerpiece of the faith. Think about it, guys. Think about it. This is the 21st century. This is the 21st century. Do we really believe in human sacrifice. In the 21st century, do we really believe that God, the Creator God, needed blood in order to feel better about you, in order to save you, in order to save humanity? See, here's the problem with religion. Religion gives you the cure for the sickness that they gave you. Religion tells you you were born in sin. Religion tells you you're corrupt and evil in all ways. Religion tells you that you have to be changed. Religion tells you that you have to be transformed. Religion tells you that God's not okay with you, that the God that created you is not okay with you. And then says, but we have the answer for you. God did this 2,000 years ago. Now, ask this man into your heart. Worship this man. Take this uh, bite of bread. Drink this cup. And even baptism is a symbol of death, gang. Even baptism is a symbol of death. And I'll baptize you in water, and that's your unification with the death of Christ. And we're going to bring you up. So whether your church membership is, you know, because nobody knows, nobody knows, nobody agrees, these denominations. Uh, if you're Catholic, you, you, you have to belong to a Catholic church and take the sacraments. They backed off, backpedaled off of that, but that's, that's the Catholic teaching for centuries. If uh, even... As I understand, and I could be wrong, but even in a lot of the Protestant churches, it's your confession of faith, your confession of the Apostles' Creed. I know in the Methodist church it was baptism and confession of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we did that one because it was shorter than the Nicene Creed. Because <laughs> we Americans, we like, modern Americans, we like shortcuts. Uh, Nicene Creed's too long. Um, so we learned the Apostles' Creed. Uh, 
you know, in Baptist churches, some Baptist churches, you have to be baptized. Most evangelical churches, we made it real easy. You just have to pray a prayer and you're in, like Flynn. Street evangelists make it easy. You can get saved just by reading a track. Uh, that really became popular with Billy Graham and uh, I mentioned Billy Sunday last week. But anyway, uh, some of the historical roots of that stuff. And then, of course, you got the, the Pentecostals. Do you get baptized in the name of Jesus only or name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Then you have some Pentecostals that believe you have to speak in tongues to be saved. Who's got it right? Like, like, really? Is that really what we want to believe today? Is that really what we want to think today? Is that really what we want to say our God is like today? Do we really want to, do we really want to make a statement to, in the 21st century that the love of God is best expressed on an instrument of torture? That the love of God is best expressed in the death of His Son? And I know they said, well, He forgave those who crucified Him. Well, He was getting up in two days. I'm just saying, you know, like, like lasting injuries... Those are hard to forgive. I mean, some of you, some of you I know on here have lost children. I, I can't imagine that kind of pain. And so we said, well, God so loved us that he gave his son. Let his son die for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a day and a half later, two days later, he's back. I'm back. Forty days later, he's back at the Father's house. Some of you have gone years suffering that loss. Why would we want to equate the goodness of God and the love of God with something that triggers, with something that would even remind somebody of that pain or trigger that kind of pain. Why would we want to do that? Why would we, is that really the best we can come up with? Is that the best God could come up with? With love? I remember when I, when I really, um, Are we talking about smoking weed? <laughs> How can I be talking about the blood of Jesus Christ? <laughs> How can I be talking about communion? How can I be talking about these things? And we're talking about smoking weed in the, in the, in the, in the <laughs> I don't know. I just thought something. I don't even know who said. I'll go back and look. Please don't be upset. I think it's funny. I'm, I'm not, I'm not upset. I'm not rebuking you. Uh, I just think it's funny. May I, like, like when you're talking, cause, cause see, here's how this works. Like when, when you're, when you're talking and you have an audience and you can see them, you know if they're falling asleep. You know if, if they're checked out. You know if they're pissed. You know, there's, um, when, when you're just talking to yourself, <laughs> you're looking for cues, right? Am I, am I connecting? Am I making sense? Am I, am I destroying whatever following or ministry I have? So, you know, when you're talking about the blood of Jesus and you think you're seeing references to marijuana, you're thinking, oh, yeah, I've lost my audience. 
<coughs> so I'm just trying to read the room. Um, all right, gang. Uh, how do I bring this? This. <laughs> Great mushrooms. Uh, oh my goodness. All right, so um, where where are we? You, you guys got me confused. Oh, I better bring this ship home. I better close this thing down. How do I close this down? I've I've, <laughs> I've opened this up. I've opened this up. Do we really want to relate to God around human sacrifice? I'd like to suggest something different to you. Now, one of the ways I got in, I, I became aware of this. No, I don't need to go into that. That's, that's, that's a rabbit trail. We'll just shoot that rabbit. <clears throat> Listen, the Gospels don't emphasize, they say Jesus was crucified. The Nicene Creed even doesn't emphasize, it just says he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And make this big deal out of the crucifixion and the blood. I remember being in a church where they did, you know, the stages of the cross or whatever, and we did, but we did them by meditation. And they did the part, you know, where Jesus being whipped. And, uh, uh, you know, we had to listen to all, all and imagine every one of the 39 stripes or whatever. And I just thought the Bible does not do this. The gospel writers did not do this. <clears throat> now, could we start from a different place? Could we start knowing God, knowing ourselves from a different place? Not from sin, fall, and redemption. Could we start from creation? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's why I'm always starting there. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. <clears throat> I want you to realize something. We believe what we believe. We believe the blood is so important because it's in our hymns. We believe the blood is so important because it's in our traditions. We believe the blood and the cross is so important because it was handed down by the Catholic Church to us. We believe it's so important because it's in the scriptures and we're beholden to the writings of people from 2,000 years ago and say, this is the revelation of God. Basically, what we say as Christians is that God's revelation is Christ and it's in the Bible, case closed. But is that, now we're taught to believe that, that's our dogma, that's our doctrine. But we will, and then we judge people and we judge life and we judge circumstances. We, 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 we disconnect with people. We break relationship with people. We won't do life with people that don't think like us. And we curse people to hell and try to convert people based on our dogma. And it's a dogma that quite simply was just handed down to us. It's a dogma that we found in a book. It's a dogma that we learned in Sunday school. It's a dogma that was preached to us. And we make our decisions around dogma rather than maybe perhaps making decisions around life. Here's the point I've been trying to make. Christianity, the age that was, was focused on sacrifice. Self-sacrifice, internal sacrifice, giving up your inward life, crucifying your flesh, Jesus' death for us, all the songs about the blood. <clears throat> You've got to believe your dogma over your experience. You've got to subject your experience, even your experience with what you believe to be the Holy Spirit. You have to subject it to our dogma. You have to subject it to our creeds. You have to subject it to the scriptures. Don't believe your experience. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I believe. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I see. <clears throat> Listen, guys, you're here to see. You're here to feel. You're here to hear. You're here to have and enjoy 
life. Jesus came, at least according to John chapter 10, verse 10, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And we're so afraid of our experience, and we make our decisions based on our dogma. We make our decisions out of fear. We hold on to our dogma out of fear. We hold on to the blood out of fear because we're afraid of what God might feel about us if we don't hold on to the blood. And all this is transmitted through men. And we know people are uh, mistake-prone. We know people don't get it right. We know people oftentimes have motivations to control us or to benefit from us. We know people want to benefit financially from our money. We know people want to, especially pastors, want to benefit from growing their church. They want to benefit from having good maidservants, good maidservants in the church that will just do the church work. I know as a pastor, and you need those things, and those things are important. And I'm not trying to make light if you're still part of that. But I'm just saying, is there a different way? What if we began with creation? So because here's the thing about creation. The scripture was given through the mediation by the spirit through the media. If you believe, if you believe what the scriptures say about themselves, interesting. I, I see Gary putting that up there. Uh, all scripture is inspired by God. Uh, another place in second Peter, it says that holy men of old wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Spirit. So you have the mediation of the scriptures coming through the mediation of the minds of men, through the subjectivity. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So there's subjectivity in the prophetic. There's subjectivity in all that stuff. But creation, you go out, you look at the mountains, you look at the sunset, you look at the stars, you look at the moon. <clears throat> that That's not... No man was involved in that. Creation comes straight from God. Paul himself, Jesus used creation to teach in his parables. The Apostle Paul said you can understand the Godhead, the eternal, invisible Godhead by the things that have been made. And so if we think about creation and we think about the expanse of creation, this is where I want to leave you. What if we took our theology from creation rather than from a book? What if we took our spirituality and we started with creation rather than starting with a book? What if the Word of God was the creative energy that is surging throughout all of life, that is surging and coursing throughout all the universe, that is creating things even in this very moment. What if that is what the Word of God is? Uh, the, the creative energy and the life and the power and the vibration of God and God's Spirit. What if that is, is the Word? And what if we really could trust what the Bible says and look at creation, the things in creation, and find out who God is? Now, here's my point. <clears throat> we know a whole lot more about creation than they knew 2,000 years ago. Uh, a whole lot more. So shouldn't we be able to know God better? But instead, the church, because they were committed to their dogma over their experience, has been the biggest inhibitor throughout the Western civilization of scientific progress. Uh, who was it? Uh, Galileo had to deny that the earth moved around the sun, even though mathematically and scientifically he could prove it. He had to deny that because the church was going to say, no, what we say is right, what we say is law, and you will subject your experience and your growth and your maturity and your progress and your thinking and your critical thinking to us or we're going to kill you. That's the group that we've been a part of, gang. We've been a part of a group, because, and maybe I'll pick up with this on another time, but this all goes back to the one holy and apostolic church. This all goes back to the third century, the fourth century and fights in the fourth century about who Jesus Christ was. But really the fight was about who's the true church, who has the most power. And the Nicene Creed, you can say what you want to about it, but at the end of the day, it was a consolidation of ecclesial power in a Roman Empire that was falling apart and looking for ways to stabilize 
itself. The thing was called by Constantine to deal with the moat, uh, with the Arian, I think it was the Arian controversy. And it wasn't even about the Trinity. It was about the nature of, uh, who Jesus Christ was. And the whole issue was which group traced their lineage back to the actual teaching of the apostles. So the most important phrases in the Nicene Creed, the most, the, the key phrase in the Nicene Creed is not Jesus Christ being of one essence and one being with the Father. The key phrase certainly isn't that the Holy Spirit is proceeding from the Father and from the Son, or if you're in the Eastern Church, you leave the Son out, it's just proceeding from the Father. And the church split over that point of doctrine, by the way, in about 1000 or 1200. A.D., the key phrase in there is we believe in one Catholic, holy, and apostolic church. Now, we like to say Catholic just means universal, and we like to say, because oh, everybody that meets everywhere is just the universal church. But no, this, this was the issue. The issue was who had the power, who was the true bishop, who was the true church, who was the real brokers of salvation through uh, for people. Was it Was it you could have church in your home? Was it where two or three are gathered together? There he is in the midst of you. Was it uh, uh, you could have and share different beliefs? Or was there one apostolic faith that was delivered that could be traced back to the apostles? And they said that the, the key to, to knowing the truth was being able to trace apostolic succession back to someone who had witnessed the crucifixion and the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. Here's my point. 2,000 years ago was a very bloody time. People being crucified is a very bloody time. People being fed to lions is a very bloody time. Human life was not valued the way that it is today. Women were not valued the way that they are today. Children were not valued the way that they are today. Um, <clears throat> your, your, your racism was extremely uh, prevalent, even among the Jews. Uh, there was, it was a, it was a horribly bloody time and sacrifices were still being offered to the gods. There were still idols and blood sacrifices and animal sacrifices and all this stuff. So if the writers of the Bible are writing out of their culture and writing out of their time period, then of course they're going to be saying things about blood and about rituals and about things that now we recognize as being superstitious. So here's my point. Abram, and this is where I'll leave you. Abram, uh, take your son, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him to the Lord. Why would, why would God tell Abram that? Because in that time period, everybody sacrificed their firstborn child to Moloch to keep him happy and to secure a blessing on the family. It was just not, that was just the way it was. And it was understood that there was this blood connection in the spiritual realm between former, between these pagan deities and God. And so, Abram has a revelation of one of these gods uh, that appears to him. <clears throat> and so, of course, he thinks he has to sacrifice his son. So he goes to sacrifice Isaac. He holds up the knife. And God, the angel of the Lord, the scripture says, stops him. It says, uh, the Lord will provide a lamb. And so it's ratcheting down from human sacrifice to animal sacrifice. Is it possible that we can just get past all this today, that we can get past this idea that there's something wrong? And if we take our... Our, if we take our beginning point with creation, look at how diverse it is. From the smallest parts, I mean, think about how, how diverse the germ kingdom is. 
Think how diverse it is at a microscopic level. When you penetrate into it, there's diversity. When you go into the ocean, there's diversity. When you penetrate into the earth, there's so many different kinds of rocks and, and, and different things. When you look out at the diversity and the expanse of stars, I mean, God created all this. It's mind-boggling. We can't even think about the distance from here to Mars, much less, uh, or the distance from here to Pluto, much less the distance from here to the nearest star, the nearest solar system. Uh, the expanse of that, the expanse of the ocean, the diversity of creation. And you really think that, that that God, that source, that creator, whoever did that, that magnificent tapestry, wants us all to just relate to each other based on dogma, wants us all to just believe and think the same thing, and, and moreover, needs a human sacrifice. That God needs a human sacrifice to make things right with man. He couldn't come up with something better. And if we can trust creation, and at least in our world, in our experience, unless you've met a reptilian alien or a gray alien or a uh, Arcturian alien or whatever kind of alien you've met that you think is superior to you, but for the rest of us that haven't been abducted by aliens where they prod and poke and stick things in us, and, and if you've experienced that, I'm not, I'm not mocking you. I'm just saying for the rest of us, I'm just saying for the rest of us, because my heart goes out to you, but for the rest of us, like, humanity is the... The, I mean, it is the most developed, the most evolved part of creation. We have a soul. We have feelings. We have emotion. We want relationship. We want connection. We want to know that we have meaning. We want to, we want to know that our existence matters. We want to have connection with our creator. We want to understand who we are. We want to understand why we're here. And why then can't we, and, and we're even taught in the book that we are the Imago Dei, that we are the image of God, that we are the icon of God, that we are created in the image and likeness of God, then why can't we trust ourselves? Why can't we trust our bodies? Why can't we trust our biology? Why can't we trust our hearts? Why can't we trust the movements of our soul that is within us? And perhaps, maybe, just maybe, and this is what Doug and I were getting at, and this is what Derek and I were getting at, and this is what I was getting at last week, and this is what I'm trying to get at this week, Maybe, just maybe, we really are living at the end of an epoch. Maybe, just maybe, we are living at the end of the age of sacrifice where we can put away these ideas, these archaic, ancient, bloody, death-focused, grotesque ideas of, of imitating cannibalism, symbolic cannibalism, to, uh, like Jared Martin said, to come full circle, uh, feeding the bloodthirsty deity in the sky. Maybe, just maybe, we're living in a time period where it's time to do what Jesus said in John. It's expedient to you if I depart from you. For if I do not depart from you, the Spirit will not come to you. Maybe maybe we need to go within and discover our depth of our existence and our connection with Spirit. Maybe we need to realize that we have a divine human potential. And I think the next movement, I think the next religion, I think the next spirituality will be the combination of spirituality and science and the unlocking of divine human potential, divine anthropology. I think that we'll move from theology studying the God in the sky to divine anthropology studying the God that is within us. Um, so, the end. <laughs> I hope there's some positive feedback because I know when it's what's so funny because when you when you when you uh, talk about this stuff, even though I'm talking about it practically, there's not a there's not a thing that I've said that anyone could disagree with. Not a thing. I mean, they could disagree with the fact that okay, God is like that. God does demand human sacrifice, and that's what they're beholden to. They could 
disagree and say, no, God has to see you through the blood. But nobody will disagree that that's what Christianity is about. And, uh, <clears throat> and I want you to think about how that sounds in the 21st century. I want you to think about worshiping around that and giving energy to that and feeding that. And uh, I want you to think about um, exalting dogma above experience, exalting tradition above creation. I want you to think about exalting dogma above relationships. Um, listen, gang, life's going to be boring if all you do ever do is hang around people who think like you. And you can't engage them in conversation because they don't think like you. You're never going to grow. You're never going to expand. You're never going to experience the fullness of what you have. You're just going to stay in your little lane, man, your little sliver of life because you're insecure because you can't handle the fact that maybe somebody doesn't think like you. And we got to get out of these echo chambers. we got to start crossing boundaries. Um, we got to start crossing boundaries. The future of the church is the woman at the well. we got to be able to cross the boundary of gender. we got to be able to cross the boundary of race. we got to be able to cross the boundary of those that we think, uh, reaching out to those that we think we're better than. And rather than trying to get them to drink from our cup, we need to drink from their cup because Jesus went to the woman that the disciples were looking down on and said, give me to drink out of your cup. And before you can drink, before um, I would presume that I had something to give you that's better than what you have to give me, let me drink from your cup first. And then we can relate, not around this mountain and not around that mountain and not around what this group or what that group says, but we can all worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And we can connect around a well that has nothing to do with satisfying external thirsts, but we can honor the well that is within each one of us, which is why I love saying and ending with the phrase namaste, because in the East, namaste means the divine and the light in me recognizes the divine and the light that is within you. I honor you and I bow. Have a great weekend. Great rest of your weekend.